Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. To our broadcast today. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue right here in Celebration, Florida. You know, as I began to look at the 28 chapters in the, in the Acts of the Apostles uh, for this current series, um, I made the decision to call the sermon series Unstoppable. Because if you read the book of Acts, these Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church, you'll see that God was with them in such a mighty way that they were truly unstoppable. Uh, we began with uh, a story of an infant church. It was a small group of individuals, initially the, the 12 that had followed Jesus, but ultimately they transformed the world. Uh, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. We've gone through the first four chapters so far. Today we'll be in chapter 5. And we saw a lot of great things. The Holy Spirit descended on the 120 that were present on the day of Pentecost. There were tongues of fire, a mighty rushing wind. The people out in the street were able to hear the praises of God in their, in their own language. Uh, Peter came out and, and preached his, his first sermon. It was the first sermon uh, that, was, that was taught on the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has preached 3,000 people believe and are baptized. How's that? 3,000 people not only are believed, believe, but also are, are baptized and entered into the church. We went from 120 to 3,000, and then the next chapter we see there's 5,000 more that are added to this, this church. People are getting saved. There are amazing miracles. There's perfect unity. Peter and John are arrested, but the Jewish leaders fear the crowds because of the favor that Peter and John had, so they have no other choice but to release Peter and John. Um, they, they're told, however, now don't preach Jesus. Don't, don't be talking anymore about this resurrection. Peter and John have a simple reply. Nope, we're not going to do it. We're going to follow what the Lord has to say. Now, that's by paraphrase. That's not actually what the Bible says, but it's the pastor can paraphrase. The apostles actually pray for more boldness so that they can tell more people about Jesus. Now, last week we were in, in chapter 4. I want to read to you the last, very last few verses of chapter 4 because it sets up chapter 5. It's, it provides the, the context. We want to know what was going on just before, what goes on immediately after. Anything that we read, that provides the context. And, and we're going to see that the situation that the apostles have been in uh, in the early church is going to change. Um, uh, this is an amazing group, this, this amazing church, but I want you to listen to the last few verses in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Verse 32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was given to all of them, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the things that they sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, 
who was also named Bar Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it to at the apostles' feet. Well, think about it. I mean, really, things couldn't be really any better. As I said, um, as I read, I, I read this because we wanted to understand the context as we're now going into chapter 5. Acts 4 um, it ends with a, a very high note, right? I mean, if there's ever anything going great, this was it. People are being added to the church. The Spirit is moving among the people. The people are rejoicing. They have perfect unity. Um, people are believing and being baptized. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful state. Also, look at the comments in, in these verses about unity and generosity. No one was lacking. Uh, for people that had possessions, sold them and laid the money at the feet of the apostles. You know, the people saw that God was, was real. The apostles told the people that Christ the Messiah was, was alive. The Holy Spirit's power was being poured out. Peter and John amazed uh, the old Jewish religious guard with their courage and, and their boldness. Never had Israel seen days like this. Not since the time of King David and Solomon. Um, um, Jesus came and, and sin was atoned for. There was no need to ponder if there was life after death because a man had been crucified and rose from the dead. So that kind of settled that once and for all. Not only that, the Holy Spirit had taken up resonance in the lives of these, these new believers. So miracles were, that they were performing were undeniable. Uh, this was the beginning of a new glorious age. The people were embracing Jesus, the new covenant, based on, on grace, on faith, on the, on the mercy of God. However, chapter 5 starts with one word, and that one word changes everything. That one word is, but. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. The First third of chapter five is all about this this couple, Ananias and his and his wife Sapphira, and the chapter starts with this word, but, you know, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, but Ananias and Sapphira, they were they were teaching with great power and resurrection, and and the apostles gave witness to the resurrected Christ, but. Ananias and Sapphira. Have you ever had a day like that? I have. Uh, you know, it could be a perfect day. Maybe you went on vacation. Uh, travel was easy. You got there uh, just on time. You, you stayed at a four-star hotel, and when you got there, it was definitely a four-star hotel. The, the towels were fluffy. The bed was amazing. The view was spectacular. Uh, it, was, it was everything that you would hope for. Um, but then, when you come home after a day of, of sightseeing, you realize that the door is ajar, somebody, somebody had doors ajar, and somebody had broken into your room and stolen um, all of your, all your valuables. Your, your wallet's gone, your watch is gone, all your credit cards are gone. It was a great day, but somebody came and stole everything. Um, ha have you ever been to a great picnic? We used to, in our family, we used to always have 4th of July picnics. Uh, my my uh, Carol's mother, uh, my wife's mother, was born on the 4th of July. So the family tradition was to have a, a 4th of July backyard party. And all the kids would come over. And then, of course, there were grandkids by that time and great-grandkids. So it was exciting to see all of the family. So, so we were there. 
and we were still young parents and our kids were still little at the time and everybody had a great time. The kids were running around and there's lots to eat and lots to drink and great conversations. It was a, a spectacular day. Not only my mother-in-law's birthday but just a, a spectacular day as well. And we were living in Michigan at the time and there was a four-hour drive, a little more than four hours between Chicago and Detroit area where we were living. So we left relatively early, we got in the car, things were wonderful but food poisoning oh no <laughs> it hit my it hit my wife carol first and she was doubled over in pain it was it was horrible and the kids were suffering and fortunately i was the one that was driving and and it didn't hit me until the end of the trip but let me tell you the last 90 minutes of our drive i was i still remember to this day it was the probably the most painful experience i i've ever had and I never want to be able to experience again. It was a, it was a great 4th of July slash birthday party, but food poisoning. And, and you know, this is exactly what chapter 5 is introducing to us. Um, back in the Acts of the Apostles, the fifth chapter, it was their first but mo uh, moment. Things were going along so well. The Holy Spirit was in control. The apostles were respected by everyone. The people had everything in common, but... Ananias and Sapphira, his wife. So let me read to you, you this story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's only 11 verses, and I want to read the full thing, and then we'll comment um, after we read it. Verse number one. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it, would mean, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who had heard these things. You know, one of the churches that I served in a few years back was a church just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Our church was a was a startup. It was it was nothing to write home about. It was a it was we rented 3,000 square feet in a in a in a strip center, and it didn't look anything like a church. Uh, nevertheless, it was it was growing. We actually had five services at that church. Uh, we had two on Saturday and three on Sunday. So we, we were growing and eventually we were able to move into a larger space. But while I was there, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting. It, it didn't look like a church. Uh, there was a coffee shop. Uh, there was an insurance company there in the front and, and our little church. 
Well, just across the street and down maybe about a block, there was this, this beautiful old church that was about 150 years old. It was the first Presbyterian church. And it was, a, it was a beautiful church. It was built during the time of the, of the Civil War. Um, it was actually founded in 1947. And I had the opportunity to preach there. There was a Thanksgiving service for the entire community inviting me to preach. And it was a, it was a really nice, it wasn't real big, but it was a nice little church. Uh, one of the things that was interesting uh, in the church was, and maybe you've seen this before, that in the front of the church, uh, along with the sidewalk walking up to this, this beautiful building, in fact, here's a, here's a picture of the church, give you an idea of what this, this church looks like. Well, you can't see it from this picture, but, but walking up to the church on the left-hand side, there are, there, it's a graveyard. Um, in fact, here's a picture, a better picture of the, of the graveyard with the gravestones. You know, some churches uh, would sell pews to raise money. For a few dollars, your family could have your name on a pew. I, I know some churches that, that have done that. In fact, there's a lot of churches that that's how the people act. Uh, have you ever tried to sit in somebody's pew? Uh, maybe a visitor comes in and doesn't realize that your family's always in the second row, second row on the left-hand side, and some visitor comes in, the audacity, and they actually sit in your pew. Well, some churches actually sell the pews as a way to fundraise. This first Presbyterian church outside of Nashville actually so, sold uh, uh, graveyards, uh, uh, gravesites. Um, they were $5, $5 for a gravesite, which I understand was uh, quite a sum of money back in the mid-19th century. Now I'm told that there are 88 graves on the grounds of this church, including 14 Confederate soldiers of the Civil War. And I was thinking of them when I read this passage of Ananias and Sapphira. I wonder if that, that tradition of having a grave, a graveyard right outside the church started with Ananias and Sapphira because they both breathed their last and the young man carried them out and buried them. Um, we saw, we saw it happen to Ananias, and then just a few verses later it happened to Sapphira. Now, what's interesting is if you've read this before, in fact, maybe even in the margin of your Bible, um, sometimes they'll preach and this is, they'll say, this is when sin entered the church. Now, I don't teach that because, quite frankly, uh, sin is, is kind of rampant. Uh, just because the Holy Spirit descended and filled the people with the, whole, with, the, with the Holy Spirit and they were able to prophesy and the apostles were amazing men, you know, sin is still, is still lurking in the, in, the, in the background there. Uh, the Apostle Paul struggled with sin. We all struggle with sin. It isn't that sin entered. There was something much more insidious that happened with when we read, but... Ananias and Sapphira. See, Ananias and Sapphira coming into the church, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't about sin or entering the church. Uh, the issue is much bigger than that, much more treacherous. It's the biggest issue, the greatest problem we have today, and that is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy with a capital H. Uh, the title for my sermon today is Hypocrisy Kills. Hypocrisy Kills. Or an alternative title would be A Dead Man in the Church. But let's stick with hypocrisy kills. The story of Ananias and Sapphira may be shocking to some people, and I, and I can understand that. Having people drop dead in your church is not my idea of a sermon illustration. Uh, it's not something you want on your church website or your Facebook page. And, and I'm sure it shocked the people as well. It said great fear came over all the people when they heard this and, and saw what happened. Um, but let's go through this story and find out why the story is in the Bible and, and what it teaches us. First, 
Why is this story in the Bible? If you spend any amount of time reading through the Bible, even casually, you'll probably realize that the Bible's got a lot of, of kind of ugly stories in it. Stories like Cain killed Abel, uh, Noah got drunk, uh, Lot slept with his daughters, Moses sinned against God, David slept with Bathsheba, then had her husband Uriah killed. The kings of Israel, are, we are told, were, were all evil. They sacrificed children to the pagan god Moloch. They killed their rivals' families, including the, the children. You know, God's deeds in the Bible aren't sugar-coated either. Uh, he sent a plague among the people of Israel when David sinned, and the Bible said that from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of Israel died. God saved Noah and his family, but he sent a flood. And what did the flood do? But it killed everything that had breath that wasn't with Noah on the boat. These passages demonstrate the almost stubborn honesty in the Bible. Um, in fact, that's what John MacArthur calls it, the stubborn honesty of the Bible. If the Bible was a history book, it would tell, tell you the story from the point of the victors, and it would whitewash all of, the, uh, of, all of the inconvenient truth. The Bible, however, is more than a history book. The ugliness of sin has not been left out. Here's the thing, and we see that in the fifth chapter of Acts. The church, my friends, is not perfect. It, it wasn't perfect then and it isn't perfect now. It's really not a place for perfect people. Uh, if it was, as soon as you show up, uh, it would no longer be perfect. And I, I'm glad the church is imperfect because I myself am imperfect. The reason there is sin in the church is because this side of glory, we are going to, to sin. Uh, yes, like it or not, the Bible is, is brutally honest. It shows that God is completely sovereign. He has a plan and is a living, loving God, but he has no equal. The death of Ananias and Sapphira is brutally honest as well. If death scares us, this story of Ananias and Sapphira would stop us cold. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost and filled the early believers. The good news of Jesus Christ, that God was reconciling the world to himself through Jesus uh, who had died, risen from the dead, and ascended into heaven, needed to be told. But Ananias and Sapphira had a different plan than God's plan. Uh, and God rose up and, and took their life. Shocking, but not as shocking actually at, as what they really did. L let's talk about what they did. That's number two. Let's talk about what Ananias and Sapphira actually did. First, they simply, it wasn't just simply a lie. It's true they intentionally lied. The two of them were in cahoots together. Uh, they deceived, they decided to deceive the apostles and the rest of the people uh, for their own benefit. Um, they wanted people to think that they were something they were not. Now see, the, the issue is, is there was really no reason to lie. There was no requirement at all at, at that time in the church or any time since that any believer has to sell everything they have and give it to the church. That's, that's not a requirement. It wasn't a requirement then. Uh, in fact, um, Peter makes that comment to them when he's telling them of the sin that they did. Um, however, most likely Ananias and Sapphira witnessed what we read in verse 37. And Joseph, who was also named Barabbas by the apostles, who had sold his land and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
You know, most likely, the Bible doesn't tell us the reaction, but most likely uh, Barnabas got a few pats on the back. Um, after, after all, people thought he was a great guy. He had done something that was very sacrificial. He didn't need to do it. People applauded him. Uh, he got his name in the Bible. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira wanted to get their name in the Bible. Well, guess what? They did. Not just the way they were planning, but their name is in the Bible. So it wasn't just a lie. Second, what, while they took part of the money, that wasn't what had killed them. True, they kept some of the money and lied about how much they had received. Um, but Peter, when he confronts them, he makes it completely clear that the property and all the proceeds was under their control. Uh, it was completely to be voluntary. You know, this wasn't socialism, this wasn't communism, this wasn't a state grab of the land. This was what we call a free will offering. They were completely free to be able to give uh, whatever they gave. Third, it wasn't that just that they tried to, to fool the people. When Ananias and Sapphira uh, brought the proceeds, they gave the apostles the impression that they were giving 100% um, of the proceeds. 100% of the purchase price. And while it's true that they may have thought that they could fool the church, they also thought that they could fool Peter as if God wasn't already speaking to Peter. Um, but here's the thing. I, that's really not what killed them. Hence the name of my sermon. It's hypocrisy that kills. Hypocrisy kills. Apparently Ananias and Sapphira thought God would be fooled. Or, or that God wouldn't tell Peter. Well, that was, that was uh, wishful thinking on their part because that's not at all what happened. God is letting us know that hypocrisy kills, and that's why I'm teaching it today. It's, a, it's an important lesson for, for us to learn. Apparently, Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could fool people, but God doesn't isn't fooled. Hypocrisy, you see, is not just lying. Some people believe that hypocrisy is just when you tell a lie. Now, lying is actually pretty common today, and people make all kinds of allowances for lying. You, you probably, I do it, we do it all the time. As parents, we tell some little lies, right? We tell kids about Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny. Um, I actually have a story about this. Back, this is way back almost 30 years, my wife and I had a, a Christian bookstore. And in the Christian bookstore, we carried a book uh, that, called, that was called Mommy is Santa Claus for Real with a big question mark on it. And, and we sold the book. It was a great book. And, and it talked about St. Nicholas, who was a real person. He was a holy man, uh, but he was just a, a man. He couldn't wink and go up a chimney or fly around in a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Uh, the book told how the tradition of Santa Claus started, but the real focus of Christmas is on, is on Jesus. Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. Uh, it, was, it was a great book, but to some of our friends, it was, it was shocking. You think that we were offering a book that would tell the children to, to go worship the devil. Anyway, I'm talking about lying. You see, we often lie. There are, there are lies that we should avoid, um, and of course the Bible is all against lying, and I don't encourage it. At the same time, researchers have gone out and they found out that, that people tell lies often, what we call little white lies. Um, for example, your wife comes in with a, a new haircut or a new color, and she asks, uh, how do I look? <laughs> What's the response? 
You look great, okay? No discussion needed. You look, you look great. Researchers have actually done some research on this, uh, what they call the little white lies, and they found out that on average, it's just on average, people tell three white lies every 10 minutes when they're with a, a group of people. When they're with a group of people, along with your haircut looks great. According to the study, the other top 10 little white lies included this. Maybe, maybe you'd recognize some of them. Uh, I lost your phone number. Um, or I don't do this job for money. Uh, number three, I like. This sounds like fun. Um, number four, uh, of course I remember you. Uh, number five, uh, honey, I'm leaving now. Um, or hey, I'm only 10 minutes away. I'll be there. And of course, the fill in the blank lies about how old you are, you know, or how much you weigh. <laughs> those, are, those are little white lies that people I tell all the time. Ananias and Sapphira weren't just lying to the, to the Holy Spirit, however, as Peter said. They were beginning one of the biggest problems that we have in the church today. You could call it a, a cancer, and that cancer is hypocrisy. And while you may have been shocked at how God displayed his displeasure, it's an important warning for all church members, for all who go by the name Christian, for all of us that claim to have found our, our moral compass, our, our faith in, in Jesus Christ. And this warning is for insiders, not for outsiders. It's a warning for the redeemed, as well as for those that call themselves Christians but haven't been fully converted. Uh, it's a warning for you, and it's a warning for, for me. We all, not the, all know that hypocrisy is a, is a horrible stumbling block, especially for, for non-believers. Um, many, for many people, uh, hypocrisy may be hidden in the church. It seems to be on display, however, on the outside. Have you ever noticed that? Um, and that's what it is. By its nature, it's a, a disguise. Hypocrisy is like a mask, but ultimately the mask comes off. Hypocrisy is a, a corrupter, and it should be exposed. And many of our churches, we, we welcome people, and we, we tell them about faith in Jesus Christ. We tell them about the, the faith that saves, but we don't warn them about, about hypocrisy. No one wants to be called a hypocrite, and I understand that. To be called a hypocrite is insulting. It's very offensive. Uh, but that's exactly why we, we need to talk about it. It's for the sake of the hypocrite who needs to be exposed for his, his own sake and for the sake of the reputation of the, of the church. Just like the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the local church may be making its mark. It may be getting people saved and getting people baptized. The, the Sunday school rooms could be full. The Wednesday night Bible study is, is packed to the gills. But a hypocrisy will kill the momentum of the church. At the same time, I don't want to give anybody an excuse to stay away from the church, to stay away from hypocrisy because they, or to stay away from the church because they use the excuse that the church is full of, of hypocrites. You know, I tell them, well, there's still room for one more. Uh, or, or better yet, I, it's, it's said, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. While the mission of the church is to reach the lost and that we desire to have a, a body of Christ that is full of redeemed people. See, we want to reach the lost, but once they come into the church, we want to get them uh, grown up. We want to encourage them. We want to be able to, to stand along with them on this process 
because ultimately hypocrisy is a killer. However, for fake Christians to knowingly walk around and pretend that they are believers is the ultimate sin of hypocrisy. They're, they are two-faced. One is for show and one is for sin. Uh, let me warn you, hypocrisy is, is truly a killer. God's not happy about hypocrites hiding inside the church. You know, there's the parable of the tares and the wheat that Jesus told. Jesus said that these hypocrites hiding inside the church is the work of Satan. Now, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the enemy sows tares among the wheat. The enemy is Satan, who loves to sow hypocrites among the genuine. And the reason is, is because hypocrites suck the power out of the church. They corrupt the testimony of the church. Simply put, hypocrites confuse people as to who and what a Christian truly is. When you lie, cheat, and steal, people, reckon, people wouldn't normally place you inside the church. But if you claim to be a Christian and say you're a member of that church and they see you lie, cheat, and steal, it becomes confusing for them. And hypocrisy is on display. Notice that Jesus said to the disciples when they asked him to explain the parable of the wheat and the tares. And let me tell you, if you were shocked at Ananias and Sapphira, be prepared to be shocked again. Jesus said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, Whoever has ears, let them hear. You know, my friends, I, I love to teach about the, the grace of God, about how it's through it's grace through faith that allows us to, to know God, that Jesus paid the price, that we just need to be able to accept him as our, our Lord and Savior. However, I, I need to preach the, the full counsel of God. And in the scripture today, we're reminded that sin continues to plague the church. It's, it's plagued the church since Ananias and Sapphira. Moral sin corrupts, and the most insidious sin that damages the church more than any other is blatant hypocrisy. This is where the evil one does his, his greatest damage. You know, persecution is really not the enemy of the church. The church only becomes more untainted, becomes more effective, bolder with persecution. Hypocrisy is the real enemy of the church. It's the, it's the killer. In, in conclusion to the sermon today, on the first 11 verses of the of the Acts of the Apostles. I'll call your attention to, to verse 11 that I read. Uh, we have the first use of the word church in the book of Acts. I love that. Uh, the Greek word is ekklesia, sometimes spelled with a K, sometimes spelled with a C. Uh, our English word church actually comes from a German word, um, and it really means a building. Um, but I, 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 for years, I've, I've taken people back to the, to the Greek word, ekklesia. 
It's a compound word, meaning there's, there's two words there. The first is ek, which is a preposition, and it means out of. And the second one is a, is a verb, and it means to call. Okay, so ecclesia, which is the name of the church, stands for an assembly, which is another translation of the word ecclesia, an assembly of people that are called out and no longer to be conformed to the world, to the word. So the ecclesia, the church, is a, an assembly of people that are called by God to do something different, to be something different. Romans 12.2, the Apostle Paul says, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, filling us with the Holy Spirit. He's giving us new life, allowing us to be born again. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, today for this story of... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.